Christmas time is here. Just kidding. It's not. (laughs) But this episode was recorded during the holiday season, so there might be some references or some things out of date, but it's still got a whole bunch of relevant information for anybody in the industry planning their weddings talking about flowers. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and soak up this info. Hello, we are back and starting off with our classic cheers for the episode because it's always great to talk and learn and chat with friends over a glass of wine. Um, This is Wed Talk and I am here to talk about all things wedding and event related. Uh, This is to talk to people that are planning their wedding or their event, to the vendors that are in the industry and the community, um, entrepreneurs, little tips and tricks, anything that I've learned, we've learned together. Um, it's a process, and we're here to share what we know. And today, I have with us the lovely, the beautiful, the magical Maggie Bailey of Bramble and Bee. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Eric. I'm so glad that we are doing this and that you're here with me. As am I. So uh, tell me a little bit, because I actually would love for people to know the story behind the name of your business. Sure. So we have been in business for six years, and... Uh, every year that we're in business, it gets harder and harder for me to remember where I came up with the name. Um, and actually I'm not even sure I'm a millennial. So when I was starting a business, uh, I knew I needed an ampersand of some sort. And I also appreciate alliteration. So then it was a matter of alliteration is key. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, makes you memorable. So then it was a matter of figuring out what my words would be that would be on either side of my ampersand. Um, I are, I've always been really inspired by the English countryside and European style floral design and brambles are kind of a like quintessential British, like they're in every British garden. It's a rolling kind of prickly blackberry bush. (laughs) And, um, I just love the kind of like organic nature of the brambles. Uh, and then, so we got bramble and then B because it was easy to put on the end of it and would probably make for good branding. And I would say that it does. <laughs> well done. Um, I think I unintentionally maybe I did the alliteration as well. Just, I mean, so my business is smart celebrations, but it's weird because my last name is C-M-A-R and it's a S-C sound, mm-hmm. which doesn't really exist in the English language, but I guess C and C technically I did alliteration, but I... Uh, you beat me on the ampersand. I mean, I don't have a marketing <laughs> background by any means, but I would assume that there's something to like the psychology of enticing people to your business that alliteration does well with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of ampersands and alliteration in modern day businesses. This is true. Mm-hmm. This is very true. One day we'll do some research. Well, one day, and I'll have numbers and statistics to pull out and say, this is how many businesses. But now that you you mention it, I do think there are so many, like, I would specifically say wedding vendor businesses that I know I could possibly rattle, but I'm not going to name drop right now, that have, like, you know, so-and-so kind Mm -hmm. of, like, and and kind of built into their name. Mm -hmm. So then you bring up a good point about that. Yep. And you're right. It does have a good ring to it, and... I obviously was drawn to it, <laughs> and so has so many people yeah. that have used you over the last you know six years. You've also you also have a shop. You've got a storefront, brick and mortar. Congratulations mm-hmm. on that! Thank you. How long has that been in play? That's been three years now. Three years. Yeah, that we've been slinging flowers to the general public as well as the wedding industry. Nice. Mm-hmm. I love your shop. I love that you like to use it as a place for all vendors. And say friends, community to come in. You host events, whether it's you know workshops or just whatever. Yeah. Um, and I often find myself doing some office hours um, out of it. And I even I think today I texted you and said, "Please tell me you're at the shop," <laughs> because yeah. I just love the environment you have in there. Music's always playing, and 
right now uh, it's the Christmas time, and so Christmas jams were playing, speaking mm-hmm. to my heart. Um, and I love the community you've kind of built with that. Super and, festive. Yeah. yeah. And actually kind of segues into the next question I wanted to kind of dive into is how do we know each other? Because I kind of was there right at the beginning of the shop and you kind of gave me my first official gig as my business, um, helping you out, uh, for your store, like launch grand opening. Um, but it's funny. I didn't even remember. That. I know. I was feel my, like I've known you forever. Forever. And so let's go back to that forever. Do you remember where we met? Um, I didn't remember until you very kindly reminded me in preparation for this. Just the authentic bit. reaction probably would have been better. But <laughs> we met um, working at Madewell. Yes. Yeah. And for people, I guess, who don't know the Madewell brand, because I didn't for a long time, <laughs> it's J. Crew's sister company, and no shade on J. Crew, but it's the more successful branch of the company. Mm-hmm. Much hipper and much cooler. Um, both Maggie and myself were doing visuals for uh, Madewell when they were rolling out new product. We would kind of come in towards the end of the day, later hours, and kind of reset, style mannequins, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it was so strange that we never really talked about our lives, I guess our professional careers outside mm-hmm. of what we did. We talked about everything from movies and songs and, you know, TV shows we watch and mm-hmm. didn't really ever bring that up. And then <laughs> one day, I'm working a wedding at a venue that I used to work at, uh, and I was an in-house planner there. And who strolls up at carrying flowers but Maggie Bailey? <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, what? Yep. So I, I worked at Madewell at the very beginning of starting my business because I uh, declared myself a florist and then quit my job and then was like, oh, actually, I still need an income. I need some kind of money. Yeah. So I um, got, a, got a job at Madewell. I had been in retail previously as a manager and Madewell very kindly offered me a, the sweetest gig of all time, which was as a manager, but Wednesday through, or what did I work? I worked Sunday through Wednesday so that I could have weekends off for weddings. Very good and, deal. Yeah. Dream retail gig. And at the time that I met you, I had already quit the full-time gig because the flowers had taken off and I didn't need to work another mm-hmm. job, but I really loved my discount. Oh, the discount is great yeah. there. And so I worked one shift a month and spent four shifts worth of money on <laughs> clothing. <laughs> well, fortunately for me, my good thing was that I wasn't always working within the product that was going to fit me mm-hmm. or I would wear nicely. So I still got the J Crew company discount, but I'd have to go all the way to J Crew. Yeah. And there wasn't that like psychological thing where you pass it 20 times yeah. and think like, oh, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. And then eventually you cave and get yes, it because you passed it so many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a real thing for those of you who haven't worked retail. Yeah, I would hate to do the math on how much I actually spent of my paycheck on the clothing at the stores that I worked. But I digress. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's where we we met at Madewell, then ran into each other at one wedding, and then at that point I was like, okay, I'm obviously now referring you for just about every other wedding. I know that's going to be a good fit for you and for my client. Um, and then it was a match made in heaven. I know, basically. We've just gone from there, and now we're... We're sitting in the living room that once belonged to you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but then my husband and I bought your house off of you. <laughs> yes. So and it's... now we live here and invite you over sometimes for dinner. Yes, uh, which I loved how spontaneously that happened. But it's so cute to come back and see uh, the house that I had for a minute before I did all my adventures um, that you heard about on the first episode of how I got here. Um <laughs> So I guess let's crack into some like things where people can actually get out of this. Yeah, I mean, web talk. Web talk or something, web talk like, or something that. like that. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is what do you want clients, like people who come and inquire or even, um, you know, anybody uh, that is wanting any services from you, wedding or otherwise, um, to know about flowers? I know this is kind of a big blanket question, but kind of want to know off the cuff, like, what would you wish people kind of knew better? I think there's a conception in the wedding industry in general that once you say something is for a wedding, the price increases exponentially just because it's for a wedding. And yeah, uh, which I actually don't think is the case, honestly. In very many of in the, of the industries related to weddings, but with flowers, a lot of people get sticker shock with flowers. 
Um, and I wish I could say that that's because florists mark things up a crazy amount and we're all, you know, living on our yachts off the south coast of France. But <laughs> it's because flowers are a really expensive product. And the labor involved in getting your flowers from wherever we get them, which is usually South America, Europe, you know, some flowers come from America, but you have to be really intentional if you're sourcing American grown. Um, which I know you try your best we to do. do as much local as possible. It's true. But in Texas, we cannot, believe it or not, we can't grow everything. We actually can't grow very much of anything. Wait, what? Yeah. South <laughs> Texas, you can't grow a peony? Nope, sure can't. Sure can't. So our peonies generally come from um, anywhere from Colombia and Ecuador to Israel to Holland. Like They come from wherever we can get them from because you, my wonderful sweet bride, wants them. Um, I so think yeah. that's something that people <laughs> probably should understand, at yeah. least I think I often find, is that uh, clients don't know, I guess, the growing seasons of some flowers. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the biggest things is peonies, I know, in the last several years have been blown up on Pinterest yeah. and Instagram and every bride and you know client wants them. Mm-hmm but don't know that they're not accessible year-round, or at least they aren't without a huge price tag. Yes. Yeah, and even when peonies are in season, just because of where we are located, um, we everything, literally everything, has to be shipped into us. So the cost of the flower might not be that much, but the cost of getting it to us is ultimately what causes it to be, you know, peonies can retail anywhere from $9 a stem to $20 a stem, sometimes more than that. I think... I tried to order peonies for next week, and they were going to retail for $22 a stem. Holy yeah. cow. So we turned them down because, <laughs> you know, I can buy, I can put six other flowers in an arrangement for the same price. Yeah. Um, no, is, yeah. is there not like an Amazon <laughs> that does like prime delivery for flowers? Do you know, there is an Amazon. They're basically, you know, in the last year or two, there are companies who are doing um, shipping direct from farms. And it's FedEx two-day shipping. So, yes, there kind of is Interesting. Amazon, but you still... But that's not helping with, like, the price. It does help with the price. A little bit. The The thing you have to know about that, though, is that when you get price breaks on flowers that are coming direct from farms, typically we have to buy box lots. And what a box lot means is that we have to buy 100 stems. You have to buy large that's, quantities of okay. things in that's order to get a price break. Mm-hmm. So... And flowers, we as florists can't buy them by the stem. We have to buy them by the bunch. So even if you order one a How bouquet much is a for bunch? me, it just depends. Okay. Depends on the flower. <laughs> so I know flowers are nuts. I knew nothing about this when I got into this industry, and it's a very steep learning curve. But yeah, if you want just one bouquet from a florist, if that florist doesn't have retail and doesn't have any other opportunity for selling stems, they may only need five stems of roses, but a standard rose typically comes in a bunch of 25. So a florist has to pay for 25 stems in order to use five in the bouquet that you need. Mm. So that's why a lot of like studio and event-based florists that don't do retail won't do one-off bouquets. Portrait bouquets, which are really popular in Texas, are kind of the bane of studio florist's existence. Because on wedding day, your bouquet is going to have... A lot of the similar yeah, flowers. eight to 15 varieties of flowers in them. And if you only need two or three stems of each of those blooms, but you have to buy 10 to 25 stem bunches of everything, portrait bouquets can get really expensive really fast. And typically a a studio florist is losing money on that. Uh, We got off topic, but it's okay. We were on topic. That was something that people were wanting to know is the cost of flowers. Cost of flowers, right. Their markup isn't that crazy. It's because of either a lack of supply yeah. or the cost of getting yeah. it in the demand. And I think labor, too, is a, is a major thing that a lot of people don't realize about flowers. But it I class myself as a flower ninja. I make arrangements very quickly. That's on your business card, flower ninja. <laughs> if it, it's not, but it definitely should be. Needs to be added. Um, yeah, I make arrangements in a faster-than-average way. Um, oh my the, gosh, watching her when I hang out at the <laughs> studio is, or the shop is like magic. Yeah, if you're an industry person and you're looking for a freelancer, I promise you I am worth the money. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it still takes me probably 20 to 30 minutes to design one centerpiece. So if you have 300 people at your wedding, that's about 30 centerpieces, times that by half an hour, 
And that's the amount of time it's going to take one person just to make all of your centerpieces. Just the centerpieces. Yeah, just the centerpieces. Um, yeah, and so typically, like a normal wedding, we we do slightly above average-sized weddings, I would say. What do you call average-sized? Um, I think... I think based on the knot <laughs> that where we are located in Texas, the average wedding, I, you're a wedding planner. You tell me if this is your average. I will let you know. <laughs> is somewhere around 200 to 250 guest count. Uh, bridesmaids tend to be like five to seven. Um, and I think the average spend in our part of the country on flowers, at least, is, a, is three to $5,000 for wedding flowers. And I would say that our, our average client is spending a bit more than that. But, um, all that to say it takes a team usually of three or four designers to execute, to execute. And we work for a full work day, usually about three days. So, so when you multiply that math, yeah. then it, a chunk of just even the production side mm-hmm. is is labor, mm-hmm. not just the cost of the flowers. Yep. On a typical wedding that we do, we spend almost a full day just processing all the flowers that come in. So when they come into us, they're not in water; they're wrapped in plastic. They're they've still got all their thorns and leaves and all all of that kind of stuff. And we have to strip every leaf off every stem. We have to, you know, give them a fresh cut so they can have a nice drink before we start designing with them. And that takes almost a full day of work just to just to prep the flowers so we can start using them in the first place. And that's usually like the Tuesday before yeah. a weekend? In our shop, we have a cooler, so we have the luxury of moving a little bit slower. Um, but I know a good number of florists who do the same size events that we do, and they won't get their flowers until Thursday because they don't have a cooler to keep... A cooler just prolongs the life of your flowers. So they are going to start working on Thursday and just work as long as they have to work in order to get all of the flowers done. Woof. Yeah, it is, it is not <laughs> uncommon for florists to pull all-nighters. And that's, and that's also not to say, so that's what happens in the shop or in the studio mm-hmm. for florists, but then on the day of, mm-hmm. when there's not only the delivery, but the install, yep. and then when you have events that have some crazy installs, which I know I've had a couple um, <laughs> that you've helped with, but you know, there's pipes that need to be constructed. There's wood pieces that need to mm-hmm. come in. There's things that are suspended and hanging that, you know, it takes time then mm-hmm. on site to design and build because there's no way you can build the full suspendy hangy thing in advance. It needs to be in the space yeah. and in that moment. So then there's also the labor of like the day of. Yeah. And so there's a lot of pieces that go into it and it's not just like, oh, because it's quote wedding flowers mm-hmm. that you're just randomly marking things up. It's mm-hmm. adequate adequately compensating for all of the time that goes into making yep. it happen and the product. Totally. That was a big one. Yeah. Um Anything else you think that, you know, clients might need to know or you'd like them to know? Or do you think that they know really well coming into consultations where you've been surprised or impressed that people know about flowers coming in? I think um, with any wedding vendor that you interview on this podcast, Pinterest is going to come up as a thing. <gasps> what? Oh, no, I'm just man. <laughs> how, but honestly, how did we plan weddings before Pinterest? I don't even know. Magazines, I think. I guess. Cutouts. But that was before our time, so yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> It's true. Um, <laughs> I I would say that 98% of the brides that come do consultations with us have a Pinterest board. I love Pinterest because that means that when you're telling me your color palette is dusty rose and burgundy, and I think dusty rose and burgundy, you can show me a picture and we are very quickly on the same page yep. in terms of what dusty rose and burgundy means to you versus what it means to me. Yep. Um, but Pinterest is full of images that... I think skew expectations for oh, weddings. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So in the industry, um, if you're a bride listening to this, in the industry, a lot of times wedding industry professionals will design styled shoots so that they can design things that they want to sell. I was just going to bring this up. Yeah. going. <laughs> so they can design things that, that they want to sell because we're posting pictures constantly on Facebook or Instagram or wherever we're posting them in the hopes that somebody will ask us they, they'll be inspired by this image and they'll ask and say, us I to, want to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but a lot of times what gets posted or what gets designed for styled photo shoots is not super realistic for budgets. Um, when, 
Yeah, when we have a shoot and we only have one tablescape that we have to make, and it's there's not so any. easy to pour money into that yeah, one tablescape, totally. but multiply that by that three hundred guest count, aka the thirty mm-hmm. centerpiece tables, the head table, yeah. the altar the, for the ceremony, yep. the everything. Just mm-hmm. keep adding items to that list. Not realistic, right? And the same thing happens with editorial flowers. A lot of times, we're using things that can be used for a photo shoot that only need to be alive for. 45 minutes to an hour and just to get one picture, but wouldn't last a all day, day for a wedding. Yeah. Yep. So I think bringing images that are inspirational to a to consultation is super helpful, but also knowing that, first of all, we're not going to recreate anything you bring to me on Pinterest. A, because I don't want to. That's crushing my creativity. Right. You as an you're, artist. Exactly. Like, you're coming to me for my design and my artistic vision, and I want to bring that to you without recreating somebody else's art. Um, but also knowing that we're going to use that inspiration and interpret it in a way that works for you, the venue that you're getting married at, the season that you're getting married in, and the budget that you're working with. Which I think you do so well, and that's something that I love working with you on and I love collaborating with you on, is that I'm able to paint you... I mean, okay, I guess we're not painting. Um, Let's use the analogy of a puzzle. (laughs) That, like, I give... I do the borders... Mm -hmm. And I let you fill in the middle yeah, I love because it. I give you the framework and you do such a good job at mm-hmm. like smashing it out of the park of like, oh, I wouldn't have even thought of about that. Or like, I don't need to like micromanage you of like, I need this, this arrangement to have this many of this flower and this many, like, I don't need to tell you how to do recipes. I don't need to like <laughs> manage that because you do such a good job at like, I share a couple of my like inspiration pictures. I, we share the color palette and I let you fly and you like then wow me on the wedding day. And I'm like, that's exactly what I was looking for. But I didn't even tell you what I needed. <laughs> I appreciate that about you. I like working yeah. with you for that reason. It makes, makes my job a little mm-hmm. bit easier. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think I was talking about this with someone the other day. Um, I wish I could remember who, but I think they came up with the idea of Pinterest having like a sub wedding, like uh, filter mm-hmm. essentially. And allowing vendors who are, like, for business accounts on Pinterest, if you upload an image requiring you to put in how much it would cost to make this image happen Mm -hmm. in real life, where, like, I think this would be easiest for planners because Mm -hmm. obviously a florist wants to upload just the flowers. But if you upload a picture of a tablescape, like, how much was it to rent that fork yeah. because depending on like, Oh, okay, it's a pretty fork, but crate and barrel sells it. Mm-hmm. And we bought it just for the styled shoot. Like we talked about before mm-hmm. the unrealistic expectation that one fork can be like $12. Yeah. But when you go to rent from some places, just sometimes the inventory isn't yeah. there and you sometimes then have to like downgrade. But even then the nicer things that rental companies have, it's like $2 a fork. Mm-hmm. Multiply that by your 300 guests. Yep. It's $600 just to eat your dinner fork and then the salad fork and then a knife. And like, so then all those things compound, but I think it'd be super helpful. I don't mean no Pinterest technically or some other new website to help with wedding planning, but to help with those expectations to like, this is how much it costs to make this picture happen. I think, I think it's a good idea. But how do you know it? Well, (laughs) the only thing with, with floral design is that even if you show me... In season, availability, all those things would change. Location. Like for me to buy a dahlia in Houston, Texas, my, the dahlia might retail, would probably retail for something like $15 a stem. You can go... Gasp. Yeah. You can, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you can buy dahlias when they're in season for 50 cents a stem. (sighs) So... For me to price something out... Completely different. So it also then depends on, like, regional as well. Yeah. And then also florist to florist. I know that a lot of our brides will meet with multiple florists, and they're going to show us the same images. And what I would charge to do a centerpiece might be different than what someone else would charge to do a centerpiece. Mm -hmm. And what that can come down to, literally the exact same centerpiece, same flowers and everything. I have a larger staff. I have a warehouse that I pay mortgage on. Yeah. I have... A mortgage on my house that I pay the mortgage on based on the weddings that we do. Yep. And so my labor might be slightly higher than someone else's labor. Or, you know, someone might not price the same way as I do. Like, there's industry standards in the floral industry in terms of what, like, flower markups and labor costs generally should be, but that doesn't mean that everyone sticks to them. So for me to put my pricing out, 
also sometimes opens the door for someone to come in and say, oh, you would charge 150 for that centerpiece? Well, I really want that bride, so I'll charge, I'll charge 130 Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Don't even get me started. We don't have... I will say, for the Houston floral design industry, I do not know a single florist that I would that, that would happen with. But I can see that that might be a, a thing in other markets or in other industries that could be an issue. I mean, I'm sure it happens from time to time yeah. within the floral. <laughs> I know it happens within, well, within planning. Yeah, the Houston floral industry, I'm going to give mad props to. We're I will as well. very close, close-knit group of... People. And I see yeah. it a lot and, and know how much they interact. Yeah. I see them hanging out on Instagram yeah. or whatever. And it's really nice to see. I, w- I mean, I think it's kind of built from a, something that you also got me in was the Rising Tide Society mm-hmm. and the the idea of community over competition, mm-hmm. which funnily enough, <laughs> I am wearing my community over competition <laughs> shirt today. Um, and it kind of really put that mindset of, you know, build each other up because mm-hmm. it's built on the JFK quote, a rising tide lifts all boats mm-hmm. that like, if everybody wins, everybody wins mm-hmm. and there's no need to like put people down. There's yeah. no need to, you know, super undercut people's pricing or talk trash about someone that you can just focus on you, mm-hmm. build you up. And then there's no problem in you giving somebody, you know, some good business advice, yeah. which we'll be doing a lot on this podcast yeah. that like you can take away and it's not going to hurt me to give that to you. Yeah. For free. Yeah, totally. Yeah. In Houston, this is a massive city with a weirdly small wedding industry, I would say. Yeah. Um, And I think that, at least in the floral design industry, there are way more weddings than there are florists doing kind of the style of floral design that I do. So there's, I don't, at least right now, there's certainly not a shortage of weddings to go around. And I'm very glad that I, I'm not at all going to call myself a like, Long timer. I've not. I've only been doing this for six years, but I will call you a long timer, especially <laughs> in millennial day and age, where you, most resumes are like, "I was at this job for six months," yeah. or "I was at this job for a year." Like yeah, that's six true. years. That's a long time. But there's definitely a new crop of like pun intended. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, there's uh, there's a lot of new florists in the last like two or three years mm-hmm. doing a similar style because they've been inspired by the you know the florists before them. And it gives me a lot of joy. You, um, what? Who said <laughs> Not that? Not just me. Um, but it gives me a lot of joy. I built my business on referrals. A florist who'd been in the industry before took me under her wing. When she got an inquiry for a wedding that she was already booked on, she started referring me just because we developed a relationship. And that's literally how my business started. So for me to be able to do that for up-and-coming florists is just paying it forward, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And if they don't do it, shame on them. And then, I, thanks to you as well, I mean, to toot your horn on your ability to do that, you didn't just do that for florists, you do that for myself. I mean, yes, I helped you with your shop opening. That's not, I don't professional, you know, do only shop openings. I do weddings. That's my main thing. My first booked wedding outside of that event was a recommendation that I got from you. I didn't know that. Yeah. Which bride was that? Do you um, remember? Yes, it was Melinda. Oh, uh, Melinda and Ryan. Yeah, okay. Um, and I had no idea that was. Anyway, great. yeah. So, so that, was, that was my first official <laughs> booking, and then you also then referred my second one, um, which was Sarah, um, and at Carlton Woods, and. So you helped give me the the start because mm-hmm. you had seen my work, you knew how good I was, and I was transitioning from venue into mm-hmm. being my own brand and my own name. And I really appreciated the I would say you putting your neck out on the line because <laughs> you've seen me only at a couple events, and like I could be a terrible planner, but you may like me as a person or a friend. Mm-hmm. And sure, you can throw your toss your friend a bone, but to you know say like, hey, I've booked this client, like here I'm recommending you to them, they're gonna take your word for it because mm-hmm. they've trusted you already to say, hey, I'm booking you. Yeah. So I've appreciated that as like helping me get my get my first juice yeah. in. Um and I think in in this industry especially, um referrals from vendors is what that's what brings oh, it I goes, would say ninety percent of goes the weddings. So far. We yeah. Our referrals from other vendors is where we get majority of our clientele. So I'm now three years in, three mm-hmm. and a half with my business, and 
uh, I would say the first two years, about 80 to 90% of my like bookings came from the knot and my advertising on there. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm in my third year going on fourth, I would say it's now 50% the knot and 50% referrals mm-hmm. just because I've become established enough that I'm now ending up on, you know, venues preferred vendor list mm-hmm. because they're like, okay, this guy's good. Again, not to toot my own horn, uh, but he is, but I am. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, then past weddings, like I'm now on this coming August will be like the third wedding of a chain from initially found me on the knot and then referred me and then did a wedding this year. And then I'm doing a wedding next year, mm-hmm. like just from that one wedding, just the wedding that keeps on giving. Yeah. Word of mouth is amazing. It's so amazing. And referrals, I think, speak a lot. And that's something that I found uh, to be really cool, especially with the consultation mm-hmm. I had today, is they said they only inquired with me. Mm-hmm. They found me on the knot, but only because of my reviews, mm-hmm. which kind of is that word of mouth thing as well. Um, and so it goes a long way, for sure. Referrals. Vendors love them. Referrals save lives. They save lives. They start businesses. <laughs> they pay mortgages. They pay mortgages. <laughs> Referrals pay mortgages. Put it on a t-shirt. Um, so kind of the same question I want to transition to you in, as far as clients. What do you want vendors to know? Or do you think vendors kind of have a misconception of when it comes to flowers? I think, well, firstly, um, like I said, probably 90% of our business comes from referrals from wedding planners. And majority of the wedding planners we work with are amazing and wonderful and great. But I do think if you're maybe a new wedding planner or it's not something you ever thought about before for wedding planners to have an understanding of generally what flowers cost, um, is, is super important so that you can manage expectations before the client even comes in. So you've met with a client, you've talked about budget. I usually, I would always, (laughs) um, and if you know that your client has, $3,000 3000 or $5,000 to spend on flowers, and they're showing you pictures of elevated centerpieces full of Phalaenopsis orchids. It would be great for me if you had a conversation with them before you sh- before they showed up to floral consult. Yep. I have no problems breaking the news to them that they cannot have elevated arrangements full of Phalaenopsis orchids. With their $3,000 Or they can, budget. but that's all they can have. Right. Um, but it is, it is always great for me not to have to break that news to them yeah. in the consultation. Because honestly, when when I have to be the person that shatters dreams, I don't book those weddings. They, they're you're a life ruiner. You ruin people's lives. <laughs> usually our brides are meeting with one or two florists. It's standard practice, and I understand that, and it's not a problem. But if I'm the first one they meet with, and I shatter dreams, and then they go meet with another florist, and they have more realistic expectations. At that point. At yeah. that point, because I... Because set you were the you set those expectations. <laughs> they book that florist a hundred percent of the time because yeah, that florist didn't make them sad. <laughs> so uh, I will say I I think I mean I think I've done a good job with the clients that I yeah, sent your way totally. with setting those expectations. But at the same time, a lot of clients will let me mm-hmm. get the proposal, and I have the consultation with just you. Clients not even involved mm-hmm. because they're like Eric. I don't have the time. This is why I hired you. Go talk to them. You know what we want. You know what our budget is. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get a report from them and tell them, hey, look, I'm going to ask for everything that you're envisioning and you're asking for. It's going to be over budget, but we can then edit that back mm-hmm. to fit your budget. Perfect. And yeah. so so while I don't necessarily crush their dreams at that moment mm-hmm. and tell them, but they know based on that conversation, they can't have everything. I then show them what everything can cost mm-hmm. so that way we can make an educated decision on, okay, well, what's most important? Yeah. What do we keep? How can we maybe repurpose something mm-hmm. and stay within budget as opposed to, you know, just starting and going low and what we think it's going to be because I found a couple times where people then see it and they see the price tag attached to it. And now that they understand Kind of some of the things we talked about, the time Mm -hmm. of year, the cost that goes into the flowers, the labor, the install, the rentals, because that's something we haven't talked about yet, but Mm -hmm. the rental cost that comes in with, okay, what kind of vase do you want it in? What Mm -hmm. kind of color elevated thing? Do you want it crystal? Do you want it gold? Do you want that? There's a rental element that also goes into the cost of flowers as well that sometimes isn't anticipated or sometimes Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, factored in. And then we get the numbers back and it's like well, we can't do it all. Or I'm sometimes surprised by once they see, they can mm-hmm. value it and say, you know what? It's over budget, but 
let's go for it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm, that's why I don't get afraid with asking for everything because I'm like, well, you know what? They could say yes to this. Yeah. And I've had that happen a couple of times where I'm like, Ooh, this is like 8,000 over budget Maggie, but still send it to me anyway. (laughs) And you've texted me or called me in advance. You're like, now this is going to be a lot over the budget. And I'm like, send it. And sometimes I'm very surprised by clients who will just say, okay, let's go for it. Mm -hmm. And, and you get to do the dream. Yeah of what they had or what I came up yeah. with. <laughs> it's definitely not all the time, but when we get time. to do the dream, it's pretty magical. I'd, we do a little happy dance, yeah. both of us. <laughs> for Maggie's Probably mortgage, together. For Maggie's mortgage, yeah. and then for <laughs> just me creating beautiful things and just making it all happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting expectations is a big thing. Yeah, I think setting expectations is, is the most helpful thing a vendor can do ahead of time. We did, actually, funnily enough, we had a conversation about this very recently, um, when, so one of the things that we ask on our intake form when, when clients are first contacting us Mm -hmm. is if they've already booked a photographer. And I think, you know, I've honestly never seen a picture from a wedding that we've done that wasn't beautiful, but there's definitely very specific styles of photography. And a lot of times certain color palettes don't work with certain types, like styles of photography. So I like to know who you've booked in advance, because if it's a photographer who shoots really dark and moody flowers, but you are coming to me with a color palette that's super bright and vibrant, I know that once that photographer edits those pictures, you're not going to see any of those colors the way that they appeared. Um, and which is such a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. But also, like, I can manage expectations if I know who you're working with. Absolutely. So if you tell me you're working with a photographer who does that, and you come in and you give me that color palette, I can say to you. It's not going to work. Yes, it's not going to work. We can do it. So the your guest experience will be one way, but the photographs you get back that you look at for the next 60 years are not going to represent what it actually looked like in person. And if that's okay with you, great. We'll do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... I think that's really important because yeah. not until we had that conversation did I think that was ever an issue. Yeah. Because I know for me, getting pictures back as a mm-hmm. planner is just so hard to get a consistency as far mm-hmm. as like, oh, having a consistent Instagram or a consistent portfolio mm-hmm. where like it has the same kind of photography editing. Yeah. So I'm kind of at the, I'll say the mercy of my clients who pick the photographer mm-hmm. based on their personal preferences, yeah. which aren't always going to align with what maybe I would prefer to put on my website. Yeah. But if I'm going to, I'm going to do my best in creating and designing regardless of mm-hmm. whatever photographer they pick. Cause it's going to look good regardless. Yeah. But as far as getting those images back, I never had considered like, Oh wait, as yeah. far as picking the palette for, you know, the day. And then you then using that palette to pick what color of flowers you're going to be ordering mm-hmm. to kind of factor that in as yeah. far as how's it going to read once it's, you know, photographed and edited by that person, how's it going to live forever in memory mm-hmm. versus what you see in real life? Yeah. And, and I was I mean, like blown away. You, you brides who are listening in, don't tell me that we didn't spend a whole lot of time nitpicking the exact shade of burgundy that you wanted in your wedding because we did. We did. We sat there and we did. And yeah, depending on the filter that gets used, it's, I'm not denying that it is in a beautiful picture because it is gorgeous picture, but they don't always super accurately represent the color palette that we spent the last nine months hashing out hashing together. Hashing out very yeah. well, back and forth, inspiration <laughs> images, Pinterest, all the things. Yeah. So I'm not saying don't, don't choose those photographers because the picture is beautiful. Yes. We just have to be really intentional about what flower choices we make so that we can make sure that everything is as accurate to the day as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think that's some good lessons that <laughs> some vendors can take away. It's managing expectations and yeah. just being aware of... And I think photographers, too. If you shoot in a style like that, if you do those kind of more sepia or heavily filtered photography, you can educate your clients, too, and let them know like the color palettes that work best with my style mm-hmm. of photography are this, this, and this. Like Look back through your pictures, figure out what you love, and help your clients lean that way. You hear that photographer? Yeah. Cause they book you before they book me Yeah, most typ- of the time. Typically mm-hmm. it's 
sometimes me. I say sometimes, <laughs> but it's most of the time venue first, yeah. and then from venue they'll go to photographer, photographer to dress, and that is sometimes then why I will get brought in, mm-hmm. and then even then sometimes it's at DJ or band, then mm-hmm. florist, and then it's me because they're like, okay, now I don't know what to do with right. catering. Now or, I'm overwhelmed. Now I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I've made all these decisions, but what do I do with these decisions? Um, and so, yeah, so kind of being at the top of the food chain as it is mm-hmm. with with that, um, it's definitely helpful for them to be informed and help spread the word yeah. on those expectations. Know Not what al- looks best in your pictures, and then I'm here to bring it to life. Love that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, next question I have for you is, uh, what do you think the industry is doing well? And I more so mean the floral industry, mm. but you can speak at large of the wedding industry as well. Yeah. I think behind the scenes, the floral industry is making huge strides towards sustainability. Ooh, love mm. that. Yeah. So I don't, it's not something that probably very many people know, but the floral industry, even though it is a like earth-based industry, is actually hugely wasteful. Like lots of single use plastic, lots of, you know, floral foam, uh, which has been used for decades. It's a kind of green, not styrofoam, but a a weird like absorbent. Yeah. You soak it in water, you put your flowers in it and they, they, a don't move when you transport, which is actually really helpful, but they can also continue to drink water out of the foam and live for that whole day and days. Um, but floral foam is you know, full of chemicals and formaldehyde and is not, not biodegradable, not earth friendly at all. Um, just plus the, the waste, like floral waste, green waste at the end of your wedding. You know, if you want to think about what happens to your flowers after your wedding, you can, it's not always happy. So Mm -hmm. maybe don't think about that right now, but, um, yeah, the industry in general is making really large strides, um, towards sustainability. So that's like alternate mechanics, which means like not using floral foam. A lot of people are choosing to use chicken wire or doing individual water tubes, which is a cute little plastic tube that each individual stem gets put on so that you don't have to use mass quantities of floral foam. Um, Even like shipping practices. I was talking earlier about processing flowers and how we get all of our flowers in from different farms and different wholesalers. And typically each bunch of flowers that we receive is wrapped in plastic so that's a single-use yeah. plastic. You know, for an average wedding, I'm buying hundreds of bunches of flowers. So it's a lot of plastic. Everything is shipped in cardboard. It's just it's just crazy, really, by the end of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just to speak to that, mm-hmm. I know, I feel like I read an article that, you know, while, you know, people get upset about, you know, plastic straws and turtles, mm-hmm. you know, that the really big thing is, like, the people at large that are at the top of the food chain that are distributing things and how they're packaging it. Mm -hmm. So like the Amazons, the Walmarts, Mm -hmm. the Targets, when you buy stuff online, it gets shipped to you. The cardboard, the single-use plastic, that that's contributing to about 70% of the, you know, pollution problem. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's good to hear that yeah. the flower side so, of things are taking that into consideration. Totally. So as a small fry, we do what we can in terms of like, we use as little, I'm not going to say that we're foam free because sometimes in Texas, when it's a hundred degrees outside, you just do not have an option. Nope. Um, but we are largely foam free. We only use it when we absolutely have to. And, um, we, buy as much as we can locally, which usually means that it's not wrapped in anything. We typically just get our flowers from farms that deliver them to us in buckets, which is great. Um, And then the wholesaler that we use, actually, I'm going to shamelessly plug another podcast. Please do. Great. So I co-host a podcast that's geared towards the floral industry where we interview florists, farmers, wholesalers, anyone remotely involved in the floral design industry. Um, And we got to interview one of the, the people that works for a wholesaler that we use primarily, um, for our own business. And they were talking about they're they're recognizing that florists on the floral design level are doing what they can for sustainability, but they as a wholesaler are, are, you know, preventing us from being as successful as we would like to be. Mm -hmm. And so they are working with their farms and with their buyers to figure out what they can do at the upper level to make sure that, you know, they're, not harming the environment. Love that. Yeah. So that's another reason we love that particular wholesaler. I love to know that they're doing what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the industry in general is is making large strides towards sustainability, and I think that's great. 
I like that. Mm-hmm. I actually had a client recently who was very interested in making sure we used glassware at mm-hmm. an event because it wasn't going to be tons of plastic thrown away. Mm-hmm. And if her budget didn't allow for it, it was okay as long as the plastics were recyclable. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes it's hard depending on which type it is mm-hmm. and venues aren't typically as recycle-friendly or bar yeah. companies. They just, things get bust, they get tossed in the trash can during mm-hmm. the night, it happens. Um, she wanted to make sure that if that went that way, that it got recycled. And I was like, let's yeah. just go with the glassware, which I know isn't a water waste. In so there is in cleaning it, but it's but the less one is the yeah. less of two evils. You know, either recycling the yeah. plastic that got made or yeah. washing the glass that's reusable. So if you need inspiration, at least for sustainability in the floral design industry, there's a woman who has a business in New York called Garbage Goddess, and her business is literally for florists to hire to come and break down events in a way that is as, like, low waste uh. as possible. So they come in, they clean out all your vases, they compost anything that's green waste, they recycle anything that can be recycled. And I love watching her events because she's breaking down massive, massive weddings in New York, super high-end weddings. And at the end of the night, she'll post a picture on Instagram of a, like, single, you know, plastic shopping bag full of trash. That's Actual all the trash. trash from that wedding. That's cool. Which is nuts and awesome yeah mm-hmm. garbage goddess go follow her love that mm-hmm. um so that's what you floral industry is doing well what do you think it's not doing well Ooh. Ooh. oregon can expand to weddings as well yeah um i think in general floral design is actually a really easy business to start uh, there's not a whole lot of cost associated with starting an event design business. You don't, you know, a lot of florists work from home, which is amazing and wonderful. Sometimes I wish I still did. Um, and you don't really have to buy flowers until you've sold a wedding. So you book a wedding and then you buy flowers. You're not, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars up front to start a business. So a lot of people do it, which is completely fine. I'm here for it. Express yourself creatively. I will support you in whatever way I can. But I do think that it's really important, especially for the new generation of florists, to understand industry standards in terms of pricing and you know, just generally how business is done so that no one is undercutting anyone else. You know, Again, I know that our business is not always the the cheapest option, but we're not, we don't intend to be the cheapest option per se. Um, but also no, you know, I price the way I do because I have a mortgage to pay. I pay both, you know, our business pays both mine and my husband's salaries. And this is what we have to earn. You know, this dollar amount is what we have to earn in order to live. Yeah. And for someone coming into the industry who hasn't done due diligence, learning how to price correctly to come in look at the same inspiration image, promise the same flowers and design for half of what I said I could do it for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not fair. Like that, there's no, yeah, there's no possible way that that person can be making money. Absolutely not. And if it's a hobby, that's fine. But you know, it's hard when it, this yeah. is the livelihood. Exactly. Of so, someone. you know, I'm not saying that I resent any of the new, Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. I fully support anyone yes. who wants to come in and do this. I just think as part of your training, and in your addition due diligence to yeah, in addition to learning how to design flowers, you also need to learn how to price it. Yeah, price reasonably. Love that. Yeah, and you can come ask me if you're a new florist and you want to learn about pricing. Come to me. I will teach you. Same as a planner. Throwing yeah. that out there. That wasn't <laughs> obvious at this point. <laughs> Uh, okay, so those were the big things I kind of wanted to hit on. Yeah. I want to give you the opportunity. If there's something that, you know, your soapbox that you want to stand on oh and gosh. talk about, whether it's flowers, your favorite flower you're crushing on, mm. whether it's, uh, you know, it's the holiday season, what are your, what are your favorite Christmas greens to work with? Uh, any Anything you want to talk about, okay. this is your opportunity. Here's what I want to talk about. We talked about something that I thought I might want to talk about, but I changed my mind. Great. Uh, Pantone Color of the Year came oh. out this week. What is it? Sorry, I haven't even looked. What? Sorry, I've been Come a little on. MIA on social media. Oh, man. Okay. Um, I don't know the exact name of the color. Well, luckily, we're very near our phones, <laughs> and I can look it up and be on Instagram and search Pantone and continue this really long run-on sentence <laughs> until I pull it up and tell you exactly what it's that blue. color... Okay. It's, blue. <laughs> it's like royal blue. They are calling it... 
Classic blue. Classic blue. There we go. So I want to hear, firstly, I'm not mad about it. I like blue. Mm -hmm. But here are my thoughts on blue. Listening. Okay. Blue is not a color that very many flowers come in. We have a handful of them. But not that color blue. Right. So I'm pumped about this color, Pantone color of the year, trickling into weddings. But here's what I want brides to know. Here's what I want planners to know. Let's use blue as our base color and let's let flowers accent and make better. So let's put it on linens. Yeah. Let's maybe do plates, maybe yeah. glassware, mm-hmm. maybe in our like day of stationery. Yeah. Ribbons maybe on the bouquets. And you know what color palettes look great with blue? Please tell yellows. me. Yellows. Love a yellow. Let me do yellow, cream, maybe a touch of like mustard or orange mm-hmm. against a blue backdrop. Gorgeous. Yes. Corals. I love a good mustard and yeah. blue. Corals and pinks look amazing with blue. Very, like, uh, what's the island in Greece? The, Santorini. So, like, blue and well, white. about and a thousand. So. Uh, <laughs> the blue one. Come on. The one blue one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like, blues and whites. With yeah. Touches of fuchsia and hot pink. Don't even get me started on yeah. Greece. Here we go. And this is this will I be know. this it's been is a dream this, of yours. This has been a dream of mine. Okay, committing to it right now. We're doing my Mamma Mia shoot. It's happening. <laughs> well, now we are morally obligated to, based on the color of the year. Morally obligated. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have to go to Greece. We mm. have to do this. Mm-hmm. It's gonna go down. Okay. Okay. Check. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually didn't know that, so I am gonna play with this. Okay. And we're gonna have fun with it this we next are. year. Because mm-hmm. inevitably Pantone does set a trend and a tone that mm-hmm. does trickle down into what we do yeah. and how we design. Totally. And so good thing to bring up. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh I think my last big question is anything you wanna plug. Oh yeah, always. So you did mention that you were a co-host of a podcast was the name of the podcast. So I do. I co-host a a podcast um, around the floral design industry. The podcast is called Botanical Brouhaha, like a witch. Yeah. B-R-O-U-H-A-H-A. Not as crazy as it sounds. Um, And And that can be found where all podcasts are found. Yeah. Can be found where all podcasts are found, wherever you want to listen to it. Uh, iTunes, I, I'm actually pretty sure it's just on iTunes. Great. <laughs> That's fine. Just kidding. Yeah. And then uh, you can follow at Botanical Brouhaha on Instagram. Um, we release podcasts every other week. And then also you can follow my personal business, Bramble and Bee, which is at Bramble and Bee. And she is so close <laughs> to hitting that 14K number <laughs> on Instagram. So go ahead and give her a follow. You will fall in love with all of her products that she creates uh, the design, the personality, you'll get to see she does a lot of behind the scenes fun setup things. Mm-hmm. Just just do yourself a favor. I bring you along when we're 2 a.m. hanging out at a hotel dumpster waiting for a party to be over. Yep. It's pretty fun. You get to see it all. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Maggie. Yeah, thanks for, for having joining me, me today uh, in your home slash my old home. And, <laughs> in uh, our home. Our home. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, yeah, if you guys have any questions for Maggie, follow her, mm-hmm. reach out to her through the socials. Uh, if you have any questions or if there's anything else you think that Wed Talk should cover, feel free to email us at wedtalkpodcast at gmail.com and follow along at wedtalkpodcast on Instagram. Hope you guys have a lovely day and we'll be back uh, with another episode and another lovely professional to dive into all things weddings. Bye. Thanks again for joining. You can find all the links to the mentioned content and accounts and where to find Maggie in the episode details. Remember to please rate, review, and subscribe if you've got a moment. Mixing by me. Sorry about it. Music and logo by Aaron Gaines. And we'll see you next time on Wed Talk.